Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. When it comes to managing money, it can quickly get confusing trying to figure it all out. There's so many options, experts, and conflicting information that most people end up making bad decisions or failing to take any action at all because they just don't know where to start. Today's guest, Scott Ford, is here to simplify the complexities around money and paint a clear picture for anyone who wants to build long-term wealth. Scott is the Managing Director, Partner, and Wealth Advisor at Carson Wealth, where he specializes in comprehensive wealth management using his proprietary way-to-wealth process. In this episode, he answers difficult questions like, where should you allocate your capital? How much should you have saved for emergencies? And what options exist to protect your wealth from taxes, inflation, and market downturns while still giving you flexibility and control over how and when you use your money? And by the way, a lot of financial experts will dish out advice, but practice something completely different. Not Scott. All the financial principles that he shares are ones that he successfully deploys in his own life. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Scott has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor podcast listeners. He's sharing his all-seasons investing white paper, which will show you exactly how he invests and why. To get access to this gift, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 125. Thanks for listening, and without further delay, my conversation with Scott Ford. What's up, Scott? So good to have you on the show. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me, Justin. Look forward to having a chat. Yeah, well, you come so highly referred, and uh, anytime I have friends that you know, sing the praises of their friends. I always want to have them on. And so, you know, it's funny, I was on your show just a little bit ago and, uh, and I've been so excited for us to connect and, and I have so many questions I'm excited to, you know, get into. The more I get to know you, the more impressed I am with you. Um, and we have some mutual friends in Garrett Gunderson and Rich Christensen, who have both been on my show and uh, just recently dropped the episode with Rich. Uh, and I know you guys are business partners, and I'm just thrilled uh, about you know our relationship and all the wonderful things that they've said about you. Right on. Well, hopefully I don't disappoint, but you know what? I don't take any of it that seriously, so it'll all be fun and good. Look forward to sharing wherever it goes. And as I mentioned before, in a time, uh, those guys say, uh, you know, Rich said, got to meet Justin. I don't ask questions. I'm like, I trust that guy explicitly. And, uh, you know, Garrett had mentioned it in the past as well. And he's also a good friend. So I'm like, 
No questions. Here I am. And sure enough, good guy. We had a good time on my podcast and look forward to reciprocating and hopefully sharing something of value to your tribe. Oh, I love it. Well, I mean, just what you stand for, your business, uh, way to wealth, just like your whole terminology and process, your orientation to teaching and coaching people to financial freedom is really fantastic. I mean, you have so many strong frameworks. I can tell it's very thought out. You've spent a lot of time fine-tuning and just kind of creating this the system of operation, right? Like here's a replicable system that many people can get plugged into to figure out how to become financially free. So I'd love to dig in even at a foundational level into your program and into your systems and how you've helped and coached so many people. Because I know your goal is to, to coach, you know, over a thousand people in this regard. And I know you're well on your way. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And what's interesting, I'm not going to claim any brilliance in any of it, Justin. I've been doing this for over 30 years now, which not only means I'm getting older, ideally you learn some things along the way. And I have, and I just distilled lots of things that resonated with me through the years from best business practices to how do you manage money? What's the game really all about? And if I were to just synthesize wealth and money down to two things, it's cash flow and control. So the process I created all the way back in 2002 have continued to refine since 2002, continue to refine today. If I can make it better today, no ego, it's getting changed. We're making it better. We're going to upgrade uh, and I'll do that as long as I'm involved with it. So that process is called the way to wealth. It's how to get your financial picture and wealth picture onto one page so you have a clear line of sight, knowing everything's covered. And then you can dig as deep as you want, because obviously there's pieces to that. So I can take that wherever you want to go. But I developed it in 2002. Uh, Justin, continue to refine it. What I'll say is, and I think this is very important, because I think people would be surprised how often people don't walk their talk. I literally manage our household finances verbatim of what you'll hear with the way to wealth. I invest our money with what I call all seasons investing, exactly what that paper describes is exactly how I allocate my capital. That's awesome. I, I love it. And one of the things that I really appreciate, because you're really great at taking like complex things and, and creating a simple program or approach or diagram, I think that's so important because this world of finances, this world of estate planning, this world of building wealth, it can be so complex that a lot of people don't know where to start and maybe don't start simply because they don't know where. It's like, what's an easy way to get started? So I love that you can fit everything on one page. For years, in many businesses, I've talked about the power of simplifying anything down to one page, whatever the program is, whatever the process is, even inside of the lifestyle investor community. One of the things that I talk about is how your investment criteria, everyone should have their own investment criteria. And it's a list of, of the reasons that you will or won't make an investment in something. Mm -hmm. And that needs to fit on one page. And you need to be able to reference that because in a season where you might be emotional about something, you need to go back to when 
you were using logic and facts and specifics to create this criteria for why you would or why you wouldn't invest. And so I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. It's the same thing in business. So if I were to just zoom out, I mentioned the way to wealth and synthesizing wealth management on one page. The overall process I've created through 30 some years of doing this is what I call the infinite entrepreneur. How can we go from force in business, which we all have done. If you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, you know, you've gotten too hot. You know, you've gotten too cold and both are out of balance. And my objective, I live that. And I'm like, gosh, there's got to be a better way. And there is. And it's like tipping that over, which that piece we call the wealth continuum, which came from my friend, Rich. I'm tipping it over into what I'm calling the infinite entrepreneur, which is an infinity symbol in flow instead of force. And the idea here is if I look at the infinite entrepreneur, it's four components. And if I synthesized it down to one word, it would be healing. And I know that sounds, are you kidding me? I thought we were talking wealth management. I am. And so money's like the last piece. So for me, it's about individual healing and healing at the eye level is what I call it. Indigenous wisdom, health, wealth, wisdom, and happiness. And how do you do that? And from that place of healing, where you're recognizing you're whole and complete, then you can go to your relatives and family and heal at the we level. That's where Legato family comes in with my partner, Rich, to create values, symbols, traditions, rites of passage, and then a structure to support that and a family bank to support that. Then you can go to the business or philanthropic all level to the world once you've done the individual work at the I once you've done the family relationship work at the we, then you can do the healing at the business or philanthropic level. The process there is the four P's, purpose, people, process, and profits to have a sustainable business or a sustainable philanthropic endeavor. Then we can get to the way to wealth and do what I call make the money clean, which is simply aligning our dollars where we're aligned with our personal values, our family values, and our business values. So that's the bigger picture. And all of that, each section can fit on one page. And I'll just, if I back to the business, because this is what you hit something wrong, like, ah, yeah, years ago, I did it in the business. Because this is what's interesting with most business owners and entrepreneurs. They typically either have three things. One, their finances are not organized in the business level or the personal, or they're organized at the business, not personal, or vice versa, personal, not business. It should be both. And so how can we have a clear line of sight of the business, which we recommend a one-page pack? You got a one-pager overview of your business, and you can be like, oh, something's off here, and then you can dig it deep in the reports to find what, and same on the personal. So you mentioned that, and it made me think of the power of the one-page pack in a business financial picture. Oh, I love it. And even the power, as you were talking about, of having your values outlined. So like, what are your personal values? What are your family values? Okay, now let's talk about investing. How do we incorporate these values into investments to help you make a yes or a no decision? Because I don't think that we should invest just to make money. I think there are plenty of people that invest just to make money. And I think there are people that will invest no matter what the outcome is, no matter what the quality of the product is. I think we're moving into an age, an era, specifically a generation with millennials where 
they do care more about this stuff than in previous generations. And I love that. I think it's awesome. But I think that like for me, I'm inspired to invest in founders, in uh, companies, in products that I think are going to make the world a better place. So that aligns with my values of like trying to do the best I can while while I'm here, right? So part of it's like, yeah, I want to live a great life, but I want to have a life that has meaning that can have positive impact and ripple effects for years and years and decades and centuries, right? And if only we could all be so lucky, but I think with intentionality, we can. Yes. Yeah, for sure. You make me think of the seven generation uh, rule and thinking, which we incorporated into Legato. It's what I'm calling seven generation family constitutions. And if I were to just sum that up, it's it's thinking long-term. So that's indigenous wisdom. It comes from the Iroquois Confederacy, the Great Law of Peace. That's the tribes that wrote the Great Law of Peace. And when you compare our U.S. Constitution with the Great Law of Peace, there's so many similarities. You can clearly see our forefathers took from that Great Law of Peace and the indigenous wisdom here. They left out some things. One that clearly stood out to me when I read several years ago, the differences was the role of women in leadership and government and you, divine feminine or whatever word you want to use. And you could see we've been flying around with one wing and you end up flying in a circle when you do that. You need both. And seven generation thinking. So the elders, before making a decision, would ask, how's this going to affect my family, other families, the plant family? the animal family, the water, the soil, seven generations from now. And we stop doing that. So to me, bringing that back, thinking long-term, thinking in generations is a healthy, right thing to do, which will serve us all. So as I think of investing, as I think of the business, as I think of the individual healing, all of it, I want to wrap in a wrapper of thinking seven generation or at a minimum just thinking long term. Hmm, I love that. That that's incredible. And it really resonates with me because I'm in the process right now of planning 150 year down the road type of plans. I was really inspired when I had the opportunity to meet David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, who's just a, an incredible guy, just brilliant and wonderful and This guy has, he gives 50% of the profits of Hobby Lobby away uh, to Mm. charity every single year. He's given away $500 million. In fact, I'm in the process of lining up his podcast on the Lifestyle Investor, but I'm spending two days with him in his family office at their corporate headquarters in Oklahoma City here in a couple of months to do what they call the 150-year plan. And so Ah. I am thrilled about it. And I just think we need to get more people thinking long term like this, because that's what's going to make today more meaningful. And it's going to it's going to create just so much better of a future for so many. Couldn't agree more. And right. It's like sometimes we think these can be new things. The 150 year plan is freaking brilliant and it's been around forever. It's just, let's get back to what works. So I, I call it the real AI. 
So I love artificial intelligence. The real AI is ancient intelligence. Mm. And so with that ancient intelligence using artificial intelligence, like that's the marriage where we can, I'm not saying we go back. No, we, but, and we don't lose that wisdom. We make it exponential by pairing that with this technology. Now we're getting somewhere, but if we don't, then we're going to end up where we're at flying in a circle with an eagle with one wing because we're not balanced out, taking the wisdom that's been learned, pairing it with the technology and new things that we are innovating and creating that we're learning. That's the marriage to me. Marry those two AIs. I love it. Oh, it's awesome. Yes. Artificial intelligence, ancient intelligence. Yeah. Let's, let's combine them. I think that's great. Now you, if I recall correctly, have an acronym for wealth, right? Isn't that something that your team has? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, it is. So I'll say two things on that. So Regarding wealth, the root word in wealth, the Anglo-Saxon word of wealth is we all, W-E-A-L or W-E-O-L or E-A-L. And the definition of we all is well-being. So what most of us think is wealth is money and dollars and things. And actually what we're all chasing is well-being. So I wanted to start with that. So that's the first acronym. What are we really after? We're after well-being. I've seen people look. The process that I've created is literally how I manage our household finances. It's what you're referring to, Justin. It's called the way to wealth, and I'm going to jump into it. That said, if the way to wealth could get you to a billion dollars in one year, would you want to sign up? And everyone says, of course, this is awesome. And you're going to be completely unfulfilled with questionable health and miserable relationships. Do you still want it? Hell no. We don't want that. What we really want is well-being, this sense of bliss and well-being. So with that context, knowing that's really what we're after, here's the way to wealth. The way to wealth is the way, the number two, and wealth is the acronym. The way was very intentional, which is the Taoist philosophy of the way, being in harmony with what is, because that's all we have. I take it, maybe a synthes- I synthesize it down to living now. It's really being in harmony and living now, but that's the well-being part. It's being in harmony with what is. So the way is very intentional. It's not just filling blank space. The two is the team. It's the number two, which by the way, ancient wisdom. I took the way to wealth from Benjamin Franklin, who wrote the book, The Way to Wealth. I just modernized it, took some of this ancient wisdom, bring it up, synthesize it in my language and modernize it. That's what I did. So the two instead of T-O is a number. And the point is it takes multiple people on the team. So what you want to avoid with the two is silos, individuals working as expertise in silos with egos. Some could call O's. Anyway, you want to get rid of the O's and we want to have an A team. So the A team is collaborative, super smart. You'd enthusiastically rehire them. They just want to get to the best answer. They don't have to have the best answers. They don't have an ego. The game is won or lost there. That's the two. Then the wealth being the acronym, the W is what's the foundation. So the foundation is built on a tax reduction plan, a state legacy plan, insurance maximization plan, interest rate, credit review, and cash flow and control, which is the game. That's the foundation of the plan. So that's the W. The E in wealth is established savings. Recognizing savings and a a warehouse of wealth is different than investing. So the first thing we want to have is make sure we're creating capital that we can get our access to. Second is A in wealth is all expenses are covered by income. 
Let's get all our expenses covered. So that's the income bucket, bucket number two, income producing assets right in line with what you believe, Justin, and what you've practiced and what you teach. Let's get our expenses, candidly, our lifestyle, your word, and then surplus covered by income. Couldn't agree more. Then the L in wealth is living with inflation. It's a real thing. How do we live with inflation? We got to freaking grow money. After we have the foundation, after we have a, a warehouse of wealth, after we have the income bucket check, now we can really swing for the fences, value aligned swing for the fences in the growth bucket. Lastly, tax diversification, because taxes is the biggest expense, it's in the process twice. We just want options, tax deferred, taxable, tax free. We just want to see a more balanced approach. Most people, you know, listen to the to the news and put all your money in a 401k and max out this and that. And next thing you know, you get all this money in a tax deferred account that's completely out of your control, government regulated, which what's so interesting, what caused the problem, erroneous taxation, are the same people who are creating the solutions called these retirement plans. Doesn't that make you just a little bit question what's going on here? The point is, I have those, I have a fair amount in those, but I also have taxable and I also have tax-free. Lastly, H in wealth, which is have the plan updated at a minimum annually. That's it, all on one page. That's how I manage our personal finances. That's our process called the way to wealth. Oh, I love it. I mean, we couldn't agree more on so many levels. I think it's really, you know, you talk about the importance of first and foremost, having savings that is not to be intermingled with investing, right? So this is, this is like for a rainy day savings that in case the worst things could happen to you, you can survive. And a lot of experts talk about, you know, three months. And I think, yeah, get to three months and then get to six months, then get to 12 months. And some people say even more than 12 months. Totally. So I'd be curious, like, what's the magic number? I know get started wherever you're at now, like just find a way to get to the next level. But where do you see that as ideal before people move into that investment bucket? Okay, so here's my thought on it. Minimum one year is my recommendation for anyone and everyone. That's my recommendation. I personally am closer to a 50% allocation of our capital, which is a fair num fairly big number, in that bucket. And here's why. What do you do with the money in the bucket? The reason why most don't put more in is because, look, I'm getting like no rate of return at the bank and it's taxable. That's all fair. So what I do instead is create more of our own family bank. And you can do that through a LLC, like a Wyoming LLC, asset protected type LLC with a brokerage account, money market at the bank, et cetera. I personally follow the infinite banking concept. I know Garrett, our friend, calls it cash flow banking. Same concept. The idea is using something that's been around for 250 years called dividend paying whole life with a mutual company, which by the way, when I first heard this, I threw up in my mouth a little bit because I'm like, are you kidding me? I started in insurance. Like I have a complete allergy to insurance. Well, this isn't for insurance. This is for a tool to practice how do you actually create a family bank? And I haven't found a better one. If there's a better one, sign me up. I'll do it tomorrow. It's the best option I have found. So because of that, I want as candidly as much capital personally as I can get in there because long-term 
over 20, 30, 40 years, I'm going to average likely three and a half to five percent tax free compounded in that. And what's most important to me is it's a company that I own. So it's like me owning the bank. I'm a shareholder in the bank. So when it's profitable, I'm getting those dividends sent to me on an annual basis. And most important, it's a bilateral contract of like-minded individuals, not like a bureaucracy like our government. So I have control of that company and what happens to the capital in it and specifically my capital. So I can leverage that at any time without any questions, without any credit report. If I can't pay it back one year because there's a downturn in the market, there's no questions asked because it's my capital that I make the rules on. That gives me so much freedom and flexibility to do creative things with my money. 50% is what I do in my portfolio. Like I said, it's a pretty big number. I want more, but I cannot because they won't insure more. So I insure, you know, my wife's insured, our kids, we have four grandkids, they're insured, team members that are insured, but it's not the insurance that I'm after. It's the ability to get the growth at a very conservative, competitive number. And it gives me access to that capital. And remember, the key to this is what we started the conversation with is seven-generation thinking. Think long-term. The other thing that it allows me to do is I can now loan that out as a family bank. Kids, you want to buy a car, house, whatever, pay it back. If someone goes rogue and doesn't pay back, then you can't participate in the bank. We all pass away one day thinking long-term. I'm thinking about their grandkids, grandkids. That money's going to get paid back from a death benefit that goes back into the bank that generations from now are going to be able to benefit from. And by the way, with our, our work with our friend Rich, we have a family constitution set up where we're really clear on our values and symbols, traditions, and rites of passage to pass all that along. And then all this bank is doing is throwing fuel to that fire. So that's how I, I think about savings. Minimum one year. And then some people, I've heard Oprah wanting whatever her number is, I think $7 million. So we're all different, but I'm more than most traditional planners would say three to six months, I'm going to say minimum one year. Oh, I love it. I think that's great. I think everyone should be working up to at least one year. And I would say get to six months as fast as humanly possible. And then as my audience knows really well, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, a bank replacement strategy and and using whole life. I think I started this when I was 25. So almost 20 years ago, so like 18 years ago, I got my first whole life policy, dividend paying whole life, And so each of my family members has one. We use it as a bank. And I think the world of this strategy. So for those that haven't, I think what a great opportunity to get started at some point. And you can do this on yourselves, your kids that basically six months and younger is like the cheapest to insure, right? So the younger your kids are, and really it's anyone that you have an insurable interest in. But I also think for those that maybe there are medical complications, you can't do whole life and you're trying to figure out other vehicles, if you really can't do that, and I do think that's the best strategy, but if you can't, there's a lot of other ways you can do it, right? So this whole idea in in this, you know, for me, I'm not trying to maximize every dollar. I want a portfolio that really blends well. So I've got some money that's in fixed income. The goal of fixed income is not to have the highest return. It's to actually have a return that is pretty easy 
pretty simple, pretty good, beats inflation or keeps up with inflation, but that I have liquidity with just in case. So that's like another place. So, you know, bonds could be part of that. The cash that you have in your home safe or wherever you have that. These are all strategies. So anything under this saving your emergency income, having cash in the bank, there are a lot of ways you can do it. So it doesn't just have to be money that isn't earning a return. In fact, I would recommend that the money that you use is earning a return. And there are also hard money lending funds and other type of funds with really quick redemption, high returns, high collateral that a portion of it could be used in as well, where you can get access to it in 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that, Justin. I would say a couple of things is that let's separate savings and investing, which we're doing, and recognizing they're two different things because they are, and that we're really wanting this war chest that we can get access to. Another reason I like this tool for those who it fits and that qualifies is you get access, typically the rule is or definition is liquidity is, savings is, you can get access to that capital within 30 days. Fair enough. I would add, ideally, without risk of loss, all right, so that all of a sudden narrows down the option, and second, ideally, without taxation. That really starts narrowing the loss, and that's why this is a great tool. To your, The other thing that I'll add is, why I'm close to 50% in the portfolio is because it is my bond allocation, because it's what they invest in. And why I like them, and I have a white paper on this that explains the rationale of how I do what I do. And the idea is, this is what they invest in. And because life expectancy for these companies is 120 years, again, they're thinking long-term, they're buying bonds we never could buy because we're not going to lock our money up that long. They can because they're insuring thousands and hundreds of thousands and potentially millions of lives. And here's the other benefit that they have. They can navigate interest rate risk in the bond market, unlike we can, because they have premiums coming in every year for hundreds of years, and they got to do something with that capital. So what do they do? If interest rates are going up, they're buying. If interest rates are going down, they're buying because they got to deploy the capital. So it's helping us as an owner of the company navigate interest rate risk as well. Again, it's not a panacea. It's not for everyone. I'm sharing what I personally do. To your point, there's bonds, there's you know savings accounts, there's money markets, there's other things you can do. I just like to see minimum one year in savings. And for some people, it's more. It's what's the sleep factor? What's it take for you to lay your head down on your pillow and be like, ah, I'm good on the savings and the war chest? I love it. I think that's great. And not to mention that there's purchasing power with these insurance companies. So unlike a bank that uses fractional reserve lending and really only has a tenth of the money in actual cash at any given time inside their operation, life insurance company, in the event that everyone dies that they have insured at the same time, has to have that cash available for all parties. So they are as cash and financially sound as any institution that exists So I like that. There's also purchasing power. There's the ability for them to get rates that we can never get. Just it's an impossibility. It's easier for them to get out of contracts or locks that we would never be able to get out of. And so, yeah, there's some power to that. I'd love to talk a little more about your all seasons portfolio. And part of the reason that this would be fun, I just did a session with the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind where 
I kind of walk through the asset allocation of the ultra wealthy and like how they have their money. So we're looking at groups that are generally 100 million in net worth to many billions in net worth. And there are several banks that aggregate some of this data. Some do it on a global scale. Some do it just here specifically in the U.S. There are some larger institutions that also do this. There are family offices and there are groups that do research with all these family offices. So they may have 200 plus family offices that supply data. And so every allocation's a little bit different, but there are more similarities than there are differences. And often the differences are like one or two or 3%. And so what I have found in my research is that the wealthiest people in the world, and most specifically in the US, generally have about 25% of their net worth in the stock market, 25% in real estate, 25% in private equity, and 25% in everything else. And that breaks down into private credit, fixed income, cash equivalents, cryptocurrency, agriculture, precious metals, all that would kind of be in that last 25%. And so I know part of your allocation, it sounds like you've got a a very healthy 50% bond-like portfolio, but that's not to be confused with the fact that you can actually leverage that, borrow against it, use that for other investments. So just because you're sitting in 50%, that's your bank replacement strategy, doesn't mean that that's actually how all those dollars are allocated, right? Because you can kind of play like a bank with some fractional reserve lending and you can capture other allocations to other things while you have this safe basket sitting there earning you money, easily accessible. So I'd love to hear more of your strategy on that. Totally. Happy to jump in. And you're exactly right, Justin. So this is what it looks like. So I've been doing this 30 plus years. The genesis of this came from other thought leaders and really bright people out there, and then me synthesizing it, making it my own, taking what made sense to me, setting aside what didn't. So here are some of the thought leaders would be Ray Dalio from Bridgewater. We likely all know the largest hedge fund in the world, super smart guy and his portfolio that he put together for his family. Cause here he is with his hedge fund. And he's like, if something happens to me, no one's going to know how to manage this money because I put this algorithm together and I manage it. So he wanted to come up with a strategy for his trust that could go on for generations and not need to be overmanaged. Hence the all weather portfolio. You can Google it, see what it is. It's in Tony. I saw a book behind you, Tony Robbins, Money Master of the Game. He talks about it. It's all over the place. I like that. Then there's Harry Brown, who was a libertarian presidential candidate. He was in the wealth advisory space. He put together what he calls the permanent portfolio which is basically a 25%, 25%, 25%, 25% allocation. A lot like what you mentioned, maybe different asset classes in it, but it's a four quadrant portfolio. I like the simplicity of that. I like the permanent thought of that, of set it and forget it. Then there is the whole asset allocation of modern portfolio theory that we all, most brokers or advisors talk and practice. Okay, what's good about that? What's bad about that? Then there's Warren Buffett likely the greatest investor of all time would be argued, and his mentor, Benjamin Graham, right? And he wrote the book on value investing. This is who taught Buffett. Guess what his ending up allocation recommendation was? 50-50. 50% bonds, 50% equities. And he said, and this is what people miss, 
it ebbs and flows based on market conditions and based on what's going on in the environment. So based on all four of that well-researched, well-thought-out people and processes, I developed through the years what I call all-seasons investing. It's literally how I allocate our monies. It looks like this. It's four quadrants. Shocker. 25, 25, 25, 25. The base is the bond allocation. So if you look at what Dalio recommended, if you look at what Harry Brown recommended, if you look at what I mentioned Warren Buffett's mentor, Benjamin Graham, recommended, it's about 50% in the bonds. Well, I already explained why I think this is the best place to navigate the bond market. So I use that. Then you add on top of that, that's giving me a war chest that I have access to without any questions to use for whatever I want to. That gives me great peace and opportunity to be patient, to let the game come to me instead of me chasing the game. So that's the base of it all. On top of that lies two other quadrants. One quadrant would be equities. Equities could be publicly traded equities. I'm in the wealth management space. I'm very comfortable in that space. It could be private equity. It could be businesses that I own because that's what equity is supposed to be in that space of 25%, that's exactly what I do. The other quadrant is alternatives, like you said, all the other stuff, with the exception of cash and fixed income, because I've already covered that. So in this quadrant, the other 25% would be real estate, or art, or you know land, i.e. real estate, but in, in, in hard assets and land, like farmland, et cetera, or maybe some crypto, or precious metals. That's my allocation. And when you pair that up, with what the large, as you mentioned, wealthy do or big funds do, this is what their allocation typically looks like. 40% usually is in stock or equities. 50% of that's typically publicly traded. They'll use low cost funds as an example. The other 50% of that 40 is in private equity. Then 30% typically, and this is just me doing family office research. The other 30% is typically in a market neutral or hedged position, a hedge type fund position, 30%. Then 15 is in inflation protected and 15 in deflation protected. Well, if you break my 25-25, how I laid it out, I pretty well model that. So I'm modeling what a, what a family office would do. I'm just doing it my way with this whole infinite banking pieces, the foundation giving, in my opinion, more control, more opportunities of compound interest over a hundred year period of compounding, the numbers get silly. I'm going to get that because I'm going to literally keep these in place until I transition out of here. Oh, I love it. Well, I just love learning the, the strategies that people have. I think we all become smarter the more that we learn what other people who are getting great results are doing. And especially when these are methods and strategies and systems that are time tested, right? So you go way back even to value investing, Benjamin Graham, like a lot of that stuff is what Warren Buffett does. And a lot of that stuff is what you're using part of that strategy. So I think that's really cool. I had the, the privilege recently of meeting and hanging out with Sam Zell. And if you're unfamiliar with Sam Zell, uh, to anyone listening or watching this, uh, most would consider him the greatest real estate investor whoever was. He certainly is the greatest alive today. Am I being too subtle? 
Yes, great book, and he actually reads it himself, so it's a it's a fun read. <laughs> He's got a you know this deep raspy voice, so there's a lot of similarities between like the way that I've modeled things and the way that he did things. Because early on, when I didn't have mentors, I just studied the people that were getting the best results in the industries that I had an interest or a fascination with, and real estate was one of them. And so I'm such a fan. You know, he grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, so there was a lot to like. So there was this question that was asked, and I thought this was really interesting. And for those of you that don't know, he's the largest owner of apartment complexes. He was one of the largest owners of office and retail, which he sold all his office buildings prior to the financial crisis, which is incredible that he saw that coming and could time it. So literally sold everything before 2008. A lot of people don't know he's the largest owner of mobile home parks. Mm. which is really interesting. And that's where I got my start. And so when asked, what is the single greatest investment you have ever made? He said his number one investment he ever made was in a mobile home park in 1983 that opened his eyes. Not only was that a great deal and did he get a great return, but it opened his eyes to an entire industry that he then went after for the next 10 years and went public with it. And that's Equity Lifestyle Properties, ELS. So it's one of the the REITs. So it's something that even for your strategy, you talked about having part of it being cash flow. He has produced an average return of of 18% IRR for his investors since day one, which is incredible. Yeah. And he's just, he went on and on about saying, hey, right now I'm a seller. I'm not a buyer. We are not in a buyer's market unless it's like off market or there's just, it's just an incredible deal. I'm probably not buying, I'm selling. I thought that was really helpful. Yeah. So you're either holding or you're selling right now in this economy. So I'm curious your thoughts around that. I don't disagree at all. I'll add to Sam Zell's story. He also, you likely know this, he has a gifting strategy. So for his relationships, he sends like a really unique gift. I forget some of them, but I've heard him talk about this. He, Fern Harnish, had uh, sent his book out and we talked about it at his Scaling Up conference and how he sends a unique gift out that's just really memorable and thoughtful. And so what a neat guy. And I agree with him. And that this is the beauty of no matter where you warehouse your wealth, making sure you have a war chest so that you can be patient and do what Sam's saying so that you can capitalize on opportunities when they present themselves. So I would say I'm in alignment with his thought of holding right now. So am I in a hurry to deploy my war chest right now? No, nope, I'm going to let the game come to me. My wife and I had talked about a place to, uh, to get our toes in the sand at some point, right? So Florida, Puerto Rico makes a lot of sense for tax reasons, but that's a pretty big move. Outside of that, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to let the game come to me. And I can because the money's doing just fine. It's not going backwards. It's growing at a rate I'm comfortable with. And I'll let the opportunities come to me versus chasing them. What I didn't say, Justin, earlier that I want to add context to is the other overlay of how I look to deploy capital is that it's values aligned and that I have something you need to add. Mm. Both ideally, but a minimum one. So I'm not going to invest in something that I'm not values aligned with because I think there's an energy exchange with money and I want to be energetically aligned because then 
I'm not going to be quite as concerned about a downturn or some volatility because I totally am aligned with where my money is being deployed and it's for good, at least my view of good. And then second, what would be even better is it's not only energetically aligned because it's a value match for me, but I have a unique skill set I can bring to control to make it better. I.e., for me, I'm a technical analyst. That was my thing that I got into in the early 2000s. So I really understand options and technical analysis. So I'm very comfortable in that space to hedge myself. Okay, that's me. So that's a unique thing I can bring that others might not. And I didn't mention that earlier. So I think there are two key components that I would say, let's make sure we're investing in a way that we're aligned with who we really are as a human being from a value perspective and from a skill perspective. And we're not investing in things that are completely unaligned or outside of our skill set and uniqueness. I love it. And I couldn't agree more because your skill set, if you're investing in a place where where your insight is taken or that you either A, they listen to you or B, you have insight that you can see to help navigate things, that is a deal de-risker. So that is really important to me as I'm looking to every step of the way, make this deal less risky So I love that. And I love investing in things that I have some sort of knowledge and expertise in. Brilliant. Hey, Scott, we could talk about so many things. This has been so much fun. I mean, we didn't even get to the fact that you're a New York Times bestselling author with three different books out. But what I would love to do is have you share where people can learn more about you, because this has just been such a fun episode. Yeah, thank you, Justin. I enjoyed it as well. And hopefully there was some value I was able to share had fun either way. I would say go to the way to wealth. It's the number two, the way to wealth.com. There'll be links on there to my podcast books. That's probably the best way to find out more about me is the way to wealth.com. You can look at more. I had mentioned sharing the all seasons investing white paper. Happy to do that to share with your audience. It'll show you exactly how I think, how I invest and why. And if they find that useful, I'm happy to share that as well. Ah, that's incredible. Well, I appreciate you being willing to share and your time, your gifts, your resources, white papers. We'll, we'll take whatever we can get. This is awesome. And I just love to end every episode asking my listeners and my audience a simple question, which is this. What's the one step that you can take today to move towards financial freedom and really to living a life that is truly by design and on your terms, not a life by default, but a life that is according to your desires and your specific design. Thanks. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments.
The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.